Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Greetings and welcome to the Elysium Project. This is Hercules Invictus, your host, and our guests tonight on the path of public service are Astrid, uh, an activist from uh, Sussex County, and graphic novelist extraordinaire, Ryan Foley. Greetings and welcome. Greetings. A pleasure to be on. Thank you for having me on tonight. I'm I'm glad that you're here. We had a the board freeze up <laughs> after the music, so uh, I'm glad that it got resolved uh, within a minute rather than uh, uh, having to reboot the whole thing. But anyway, such is life. We adjust, we meet our challenges, and we go onwards. Uh, so, how have you guys been, Astrid? How is everything in Sussex County? Uh, doing well. You know, there are all these different um, great self-sufficiency projects that we've mentioned last time. I found a really great article about uh, recycling and how different it is when it is a um, a one-part system or a two-part system, which I was totally unaware of the differences. And I know you're a great environmentalist, and, and this would affect us 
you know, with all of us, not just in Sussex County, but everywhere. Yes, there's a lot of problems with the recycling. Uh, ever since I got uh, elected to the county committee and, uh, and I started the political show, people have been stopping me in the streets and telling me their uh, you know, concerns and grievances, which is good because this way I have my ear to what is uh, you know, going on in people's minds rather than uh, what people are reporting in meetings. And uh, people are upset because they've discovered that uh, businesses don't have to recycle like certain food businesses and so forth, and uh, they have to recycle. And also they've, uh, it's become common knowledge that a lot of our recyclables are no longer being recycled. They're being taken to uh, um, dumps because it's no longer cost-efficient uh, to uh, recycle them. So wow. uh, people are understandably upset about that. I'm upset about it myself. So that came up uh, tonight. Uh, for those who don't know, um, I'm running for uh, town council here in uh, Tenafly, and uh, tonight was the night where I uh, gave a presentation before the Democratic County Committee. That's still going on, by the way, but I had to leave to come here and start a podcast. So I should know by tomorrow or the next day how effective my uh, uh, speech and my answering of questions was, but that was one of the questions that I, I dealt with tonight. So I'm looking forward to learning a lot more about it uh, from you so that I could open my eyes even further. Yeah, quite yeah. interesting. I remember when um, the method of recycling was a dual string system, which meant you had to separate the cans from the glass and the colored mm -hmm. glass, and uh, people found it bothersome. Uh, I guess the amount of people that uh, proceeded to do it was not that great, so most places went to a single string. I think in Sussex County there are, there are 24 municipalities, and fewer than five still collect dual stream recyclables. It's easier. Uh, the rates are have skyrocketed, so it's it's cheaper. There are fewer mm -hmm. trucks transporting it, and the sorting is done by workers at a central facility. But I didn't realize, according to Michael Edelstein of Goshen, New York, he's the president of the nonprofit organization Orange Environment and the director of the Institute for Environmental Studies at Ramapo University that it's most effective when the products are source-separated because there's less likelihood of contamination when waste isn't recyclable and thrown in the bin. And therefore, right. they have, when that does happen, they have to just dump it all and not recycle any. So it ends up in the landfills, and then the towns lose revenue. And um, the dual-stream method produces the highest-grade materials so it's a better repurpose of the materials afterwards. That, that is awesome. I, and, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be picking your brains for this. Uh, Ryan, how is everything with you? I'm glad that you're here today because uh, our topic is going to be um, controlling the narrative or basically political storytelling, which becomes history uh, <laughs> in uh, the, the power of the victors. So uh, you are a graphic novelist extraordinaire and an author, and uh, you are awesome with uh, words. Uh, so uh, your input is phenomenally important. How is everything with you? I, I'm, I'm doing well. It's, it's kind of one of those things that uh, I, I want to constantly remind myself that, you know, there's going to be times where there's going to be hills and, and there's going to be valleys. And, and if you yes. don't have the valleys, uh, then you can't have the hills. It's, and not everything's always going to be perfect all the time. 
Uh, and so it's kind of one of those things where uh, here over the last couple of months, I've found myself in, uh, in, in, in a bit of some valleys, but, but through that, I've uh, turned my focus uh, back tremendously towards my writing. Uh, and so it's, it's this odd flow where sometimes things aren't great in, in a certain area, but then you can use that to, to elevate you know, yourself and, and rededicate your focus uh, towards things that truly make you happy. So I've been, uh, I've been doing a lot of creative work. Uh, that I've been very excited about, and so I'm hoping that I can uh, lend a voice here with your with your show tonight, uh, and provide whatever insight that I can. Well, you'll definitely be able to provide uh, lots of insights. I'm a mythic individual, as you know, so I think mythically, and you write myths. You give birth to legends, so uh, uh, yeah, definitely you'll understand uh, um, that psychology. And those tales often speak of rulership and uh, uh, kings who are tyrants and kings who are just and so forth. So these stories have been uh, part of uh, global culture uh, and certain stories part of our Western culture since there was such a thing. Well, I'm happy to provide any insight that I can. Now, thank you. Um, what One of the things I'm seeing uh, play out now is are the Democratic and the Republican narratives uh, in, in terms of how are they uh, interpreting uh, the events that are unfolding and how are they spinning that's another term that's used a lot uh, these events into what they're saying uh, and how are they demonizing uh, people who don't agree with them like uh, for instance uh, our president seems to be blaming the Democrats for everything um, you know, um, I'm you know very uh, surprised at some of the things that uh, he's been blaming uh, Democrats uh, for, and uh, the uh, the other side, the more liberal uh, Democratic side, uh, has been uh, painting him as a fool, you know, a clown, and yet uh, his uh, actions seem, uh, although we wouldn't agree with them, uh, very strategic. And he seems very aware, having been in television for many years, uh, as to what a narrative is and how to control it. So um, <laughs> a lot of times it seems that we're not listening to facts. We're listening to competing stories uh, that are selective in the facts that they're choosing. And th this has become... Uh, problematic if you're trying to ascertain what's actually going on. So, Ashton, I'm sure you see that uh, in Sussex County and, and beyond. Oh, you know, and you could just look in terms of, of the state level, local level, state level, national level. And uh, I was discussing this with a relative, which is always quite risky, as you know, yes. in, in terms of the political atmosphere. And um, and we both have extremely different views. And I, in order to get my point across, I had to basically get down to the very nitty-gritty and say to him, let's go down to the, the very basic element. It is not about – let's not talk about a party. Let's not talk about a profession because, then, you know, people say, oh, politicians. Let's talk about the individual and the – here we go again with the code of ethics – and the code uh -huh. of conduct and how you conduct yourself. I remember when I was in my first few years of teaching art and uh, I was at a uh, group meeting afterwards and this one particular classroom teacher said, oh, those special area teachers, uh, 
And being an art teacher, I just looked at her, and one of the funny words they would use for us to describe us would be called itinerants, which I found highly insulting. You know, it was like an itinerant <laughs> worker. It meant part-time person because I would be divided between two schools. But uh-huh. I, I, I basically stopped the discussion. I said, whoa, wait a minute. Do you realize it comes down to the nature of the person and that I being a special area could be in the, could be a classroom teacher tomorrow? And then would you change your attitude in terms of the grouping? It came down to the very fact that it's the person's es- person's essence. Yes, there is something known as crowd control and people and the mob psychology, and people sometimes will not voice their opinions because they feel swayed by the group and wanting to belong, which you can apply that to what's going on now within the government. Uh, but the, the person's essence is their essence, and what they believe and how they perform will not change based upon teaching one subject or another subject or being in one party versus another party. And I was able to discuss with him then some of the aspects going on concerning um, the administration, basically that um, when someone has been in the private sector and run a business as long as uh, our president has, this is the only thing he knows, and this is the way he reacts. And we talked about this last week with Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Pumping Iron documentary and tearing apart your opponent and being highly destructive and manipulative and winning, and then building that person back up, which is how this man operates, because that's what's worked for him in his processes back then, and that's all he knows. And that's a very interesting observation, uh, and I'm going to bounce it to Ryan. Um, you know, basically, we are what we are, and the only thing we can bring to any situation uh, is uh, um, what we know or what uh, uh, those who we trust uh, show us that we trust in turn and can then open ourselves, uh, you know, to applying. Um, but it, it is a very interesting way to think about uh, our president's behavior in that you know, what he's doing is what he's already been doing for his entire life, and many people have pointed uh, that out. Uh, as a story, how do you see that unfolding? Well, so I think the first thing that uh, – and, and I was just jotting down a few notes to, to put in uh, – to, to make sure that I was covering all my bases – uh, mm-hmm. Going back to, okay, so if you're going to go through and you're going to tell a story, immediately what I thought of uh, was the fantastic 10-part uh, miniseries that aired, I want to say, last year on, on FX, uh, The People versus O.J. Simpson. And okay. uh, this was a, a, a miniseries that my son and I tremendously enjoyed, and I, I remember – you know, watching these events unfold, and I, I practically had to—I uh, wore out the pause button on the DVR because I would pause it and, and then explain, you know, for okay. context. And and one of the things that they talked about. Uh, so as a writer, I'm fascinated with perspective, and mm-hmm. I think for the for the long part, uh, depending upon who is telling the story, often dictates who is the protagonist and who is the antagonist. And one of the things that both camps of lawyers were saying were, who can tell the better story? If we, whoever we, whoever tells the better story 
is going to be the one that's going to win in the courtroom. And so, but in A Few Good Men, uh, Tom Cruise has a line about how it doesn't matter what I believe, it only matters what I can prove. But it seems to me like we've had a cultural shift here where in the, in the first episode of the Colbert Report, Stephen Colbert, who was, who was playing a character, uh, right. coined a phrase that is actually in the dictionary now uh, called truthiness. And yes. truthiness is not, is not something that you can factually prove, but it feels right in your gut. And, and I think that's kind of the, the, what we've shifted to now is an era of truthiness where someone will come along and they'll tell you something, and it's not necessarily fact-checked, but it feels right to you. And so you're going to go and you will believe that, and, or you believe it because you want it to be true. And so that can end up being a, a fairly you know, dangerous area. And so now whether or not you're a fan of Trump, whether or not you're, you're uh, against him, uh, it's really I think the most important thing is that uh, we've had these conspiracy theories, for lack of a better term, uh, that when uh, President Obama – was in office. His sole goal was to destroy the United States as we know it. And and I don't yeah, think I that someone that. goes in. Yeah, no one goes into political office and allows themselves to be subjected to that kind of scrutiny unless they want America to be better. I I do believe that Trump does want to make America great again, uh, but mm-hmm. I don't know necessarily if I if I agree with a lot of his methods. Right, but there are to- there are times where you have to think about no one, no army has ever marched forth into battle thinking they were the bad guys. Uh, even you know, in the Civil War, both sides thought that what they were doing was right and just. Uh, the if I can bring it into my realm that that I know and that I study, uh, I would look at uh, Avengers: Infinity War. From earlier this year if, if you go back and you watch that movie And you tell yourself the whole time Thanos is the good guy And he's the uh-huh. one trying to fix the universe And the Avengers are all the ones That are, that are trying to stop him Suddenly you can kind of You can understand his mindset You may not necessarily agree With what he's doing But you can understand why he's doing that And so it, I think that's probably the biggest schism that we have right now in our culture is that people aren't willing to look at the other side of the argument and say, why do you believe this way? You know, they, it, and it's, it's like you've posted on your Facebook time, uh, and I'm going to butcher the quote here if, if I try to recite it from memory, but uh, where you can take in an idea, you tumble it around, you see if you like it or don't, and just because you're listening to it doesn't mean you automatically accept it. You, you know, so you right. can go through and you can listen to it, and you can say, hey, I like this idea, or you come back and say, ah, I don't like this idea, I think this would be better. And I think that's probably the biggest schism right now is that we're not willing to see, whichever your political allegiance lies, no one wants to hear what the other side is saying, it, it, and it all just devolves down to name-calling, and, and I think that's one of the biggest hurdles that we have to get over somehow. 
I, I think you're absolutely uh, correct. And actually, that came up today during the uh, the um, you know a meeting as well. I was asked like, what did I think the problems of the town were? And uh, I talked about how uh, I first encountered this when I tried to do my Mythic Atlantis event a few years ago, and kind of like ran into all these invisible walls I didn't even realize were there. But uh, there seem to be two factions in town, one that's uh, very traditional, I guess you can call them, and they don't want anything to change. And they w- they like it when stores are empty downtown because then nobody's going to come into <laughs> the town, you know. So they do everything <laughs> they can to keep things the same and to, to make it as difficult as possible uh, for any change to take place. Uh, and then there are other people, you know, who, uh, you know, basically want the town to evolve. They want it to change. They're the younger. They they were living in the city before. And now they're, they've moved to Jersey or, you know, whatever their reasons. But they want the town to be uh, more or different than it currently is. So those two forces, uh, as in nature, uh, here in Tenafly, they you know, they basically, they're, they're clashing all the time. And this struggle appears in like the weirdest uh, places, uh, like preventing mythic Atlantis. Uh, so um, I, I said that I, I don't know what I can possibly do about it, but I'd like to make this invisible wall visible. Uh, and whether you want to use the wall analogy, you know, I want to tumble down that wall, or if you want to use the divide analogy, I want to bridge that uh, divide. You know, you can look at it any way you like, but um Yes, it's, it, each side is telling totally different stories, and in the uh, their stories, the other side are the villains, whether they're secret villains or or visible villains, and each side sees themselves uh, as heroic in uh, uh, perpetuating a particular notion of life uh, that uh, they have. Um, and I think the first step to making it visible is understanding, you know, what the conflict is all about because it doesn't play itself out visibly. It's always an invisible thing that you encounter uh, if you try to do anything new. Absolutely. And, and I, I don't think that that necessarily is, is a problem that is exclusive only to your county. Uh, I'm sure. So – uh, I, I live in the in the state of Oklahoma for for your listeners, uh, and I'm uh, I'm about oh uh, six seven miles down the road uh, from what has arguably become one of the biggest uh, outdoor music festivals uh, that's been going on uh, here in in the small town of Pryor uh, for a, I don't uh, possibly over a decade now, but it's called Rocklahoma. Uh, it's it's a three day event, and uh, and and. It's an absolutely fantastic thing for the city of Pryor because we get these huge bands that come in. They play this festival. It lasts for three days, and all I and so whenever I you know you go into town and you can see all the restaurants are full. Uh, you know Walmart. There's you know uh, people coming in and out. It's it's tourist dollars, which is good for our community. But right. there, but there are going to be that group of people. But, oh, we don't want a bunch of these rock and roll character types, you know, in, in our town uh-huh. when they're generating a tremendous amount of, uh, amount of revenue. And so I understand, okay, yes, it's loud. Can I hear Rocklahoma if I stand off my back porch? Yeah, I can. Uh, but I also think about the, the benefit that that's doing for, for the schools. And I think that's probably one of the, the easier things that we, that I can do as a writer is to sit back and, and try to look more at the at the at the grand at the big picture of it, and it's sometimes it's tough to see long term what these these benefits are 
Uh, and, and to that, that's where I leave it to the, the people that are much smarter than me when it comes to the, the issue of politics to be able to have that, that foresight to see, well, if we do, if we do A, then A is going to get us B, and B will move us into C. And, and, but to be able to look far enough down the line and to be able to see the, the problems that could possibly arise. But I think one of the worst things that someone can say is, well, that's the way we've always done it. I, I think that's one of the worst things that you can do because you need to constantly be evolving and improving. Right. And you, but you, you are much more powerful than you give yourself uh, credit for, my friend, because you, you write. You, uh, you take the human condition and you lay it uh, bare. And because that's not something that only happens in Ten Flying Jersey, but it's, it's kind of universal, uh, and the issues might be different, but you know, but the the lines uh, that we draw, whether they're religious or whether they're political, are are, are the same. Uh, and uh, you're in the position to write something that people won't resist because it doesn't address uh, uh, the area of difference uh, directly, but it addresses the issue itself, and people by reading it. Uh, can begin to think about it differently, maybe. I, I think that's probably one of the, the benefits of, of being um, a fiction author is that you have to think about, okay, this is the story that I want to tell, and, or this is, the, this is the lesson, this is the moral of the story that I want to lay out there. And if you try to cram that lesson down someone's throat, it's uh, it, it never seems to work. If you, I mean, you can tell kids all day long, "Hey, don't do drugs," uh, and they, yeah, whatever, old man. Uh, but then if you go through and you can show them a story, and like this is a character, this is a character that you like, and you see how drugs destroyed that individual, then uh-huh. they can go through, and that that lesson tends to hit home a little harder. Uh, I just think that when it comes to the political arena, uh, that that type of storytelling is, is not as readily available or people are naturally standoffish about it because they think, oh, this person, they're just pushing their own agenda. And so I think that could make people somewhat uh, a little less trusting. So it's, uh, so that is the benefit that I have of, of being a fiction writer is the ability to kind of to sneak that moral in there and hopefully you know, let that seed take root and then let that germinate and that way they can do a, develop their own feelings and philosophies uh, about that, about that seed that I planted. Um, Astrid and I are involved in uh, several uh, initiatives and uh, one of them, uh, or arguably more than one of them are interfaith. Um, It's uh, the story that uh, in biblical accounts of the Tower of Babel, you know, where you have confusion because uh, people are speaking uh, different languages, or they're using the same language, but they're uh, the way they label certain things are, are different. So they think they're talking about something else when they're actually talking about the same thing. And uh, there have been a couple of years already spent just getting people with totally different beliefs to start uh, uh, communicating with each other and finding that uh, these beliefs don't really separate us as much as we think if we share common values. So we have people that are part of these different uh, initiatives who are Buddhists, who are New Agers, who, are, who belong to traditional religions, who belong to non-traditional religions, who belong to ancient religions. Uh, people who think religion is a bad idea. <laughs> so everybody's coming from a different uh, place in terms of what they think this is all about. Uh, and yet, despite the fact that there are all these differences, there are also a lot more similarities. 
And just in the process of conversing without uh, addressing the differences, but, hey, you know, tell me what you, how you see the universe and, you know, let's see if we can understand it and then um, um, be able to ask questions or, or listen and get a, a different understanding. Um, it, it's amazing how much of what seems a matter of life and death becomes unimportant. Well, I, I'm, I'm thinking back to um, the story about the uh, uh, rock festival. I, I found it so interesting um, in, in the sense that uh, not seeing the other side, because people tend to be very subjective. And if you, you say it in the terms of a story or fiction, you know, it works. And as I did with my one relative, take it away from that arena and present it in an analogy or in basic human nature, it just goes off so much better. For instance, um, a neighbor that's that's ranting about, oh, the noise from this and that, and you'd say, but look at the income that it's generating, and, and look at what happens with our schools. And then if you end it with something like, and just think, we get all this from only three days. We don't have to endure it every single day of our lives. You know, So there is a balance. And I think when you show people that there is a balance and show them one side versus the other and the positive aspects, not, not the negative aspects, because you know, usually people bring them out first, but the positive aspects, and like, yeah, we're getting this money, and we only have to endure it for three days. So if it's not your music, just think you have the 300 and whatever days to yourself. You don't have to worry about it, yet you've reaped the benefits of those three days. Very, very true. If you can reframe it that way, or, or yeah, or, or I, I found working as an arbitrator around. and a union delegate who had to like see both sides of the story and 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 be in, in a meeting and and represent somebody, but also listen to the administrator. That a lot of times when you just reworded it or put it in a different context it was much more palatable that you weren't getting a book and throwing it down on the table and raving and ranting. And just from one point of perspective, um, people tend to be able to see a little bit more of the other person's side. It reminds and me I of think a, that's something that we definitely need. Yes. <laughs> Most definitely, you know, and empathy. Yeah. I think we've gotten away with empathy, a, a feeling for people, a, and uh, it's perpetuated by a lot of things, whether it's just, you know, the economy and that, that attitude in relation, well, if I can't have it, I don't want somebody else to do it. Or, you know, or it's, it's horrific. It's basically having to not empathizing with people and not being able to see the other side. It's tough. But then you have, like, with, with, when we talk about politics, it can get really crazy because, you know, there are think tanks that are paid big, big money in order to present information a certain way to sway thinking. And uh, a really, really interesting thing is you know, with the uh, acting EPA administrator now who's up to be, um, we'll have the hearing started actually today, um, and that would be Andrew um, Wheeler. And he's the third one now because we had Pruitt and he went down. We had Zinke, he went down. And there's just something very uh, frightening when someone is ahead of a committee and they are the antithesis of what it, it's supposed to be. Because uh, Wheeler is definitely a former coal lobbyist. And to be placed as a permanent head of the EPA, 
he will he's already rolled back as an acting EPA rolled back safeguards for clean air and clean water promoting interest of the fossil fuel industry so this should be interesting because it's um, you have people here that are um, the think tanks that present things in terms of um, um, information on climate change, and of course, uh, Wheeler doesn't believe in it. Meanwhile, he hasn't even read the report that was presented to the UN, but they will base their things on information from these think tanks like the Cato Institute and mm-hmm. com- the Competitive uh, Enterprise Institute, who incidentally are funded by the Koch brothers, who are the fossil fuel millionaires. So it's interesting when you start doing your research and find out how some of these stories evolve. You know, who's telling these stories and why are they telling the stories? Yes. Yes. uh, (laughs) As you were talking, I was uh, thinking back on uh, on comic books. I love comic books. I've always loved uh, comic books. Oh, they're wonderful. Occasionally they have uh, commercials in comic books where you'll have like superheroes eating cupcakes or or candy bars <laughs> or something, but they disguise them like uh, comic book stories, so like two-page or four-page comic book stories, but they're not. They're advertisements, um, and many times as you go uh, online reading articles, some of the articles uh, turn out to be, uh, just like a lot of the infomercials on TV, they're not really information they're presented as information that's objective uh they're actually trying to sell you something they're actually you know like a a, a story that's meant to uh, pr- compel you to take a particular action uh, mm. so it is amazing how uh, uh powerful that is and uh in in history too history is written by the winners and uh, i learned this uh as a young man i went to greek parochial school so we spent years on uh, ancient Greece. We we spent years on medieval Greece. We spent years on the uh, you know the Greek history, the revolution for independence, and all that. And I was so shocked when I got to high school. Uh, we did revisit uh, mythology, uh, and mythology was a semester. But in terms of all that Greek history, I learned. Uh, it was covered in a couple of paragraphs, <laughs> years <laughs> worth of history in our textbooks. So it was totally unimportant and uh, uh, and meaningless, uh, except as like background uh, for the the story that America was telling about its uh, heritage and the influences that that shaped it. So uh, it was quite an eye opener. Uh, and uh, in talking to other people, uh, too, uh, in terms of their uh, ethnicity or their nationality or their you know, belief system or, you know, whatever uh, group they identify themselves with, uh, is that a lot of their life experience is determined by the context of their uh, story. Uh, if they tell stories of persecution, then they are more likely to experience uh, uh, persecution. If they tell stories of, of moving and having difficulties and succeeding, then that's what their stories are going to be about. And if these stories are phenomenally powerful uh, things. Almost well, definitely. It, yeah, uh, the, old, the old adage is uh, write what you know. And mm-hmm. and I think you can see that. Uh, I mean, you can go through. I, I believe personally that the better adage is "right who you are," uh, simply because uh, I know nothing about wielding a lightsaber. I know nothing about uh, putting on a, a cape and tights, but yet I can. But yet I can tell a story about someone 
who definitely wants to be a hero. I can understand that mindset. Uh, and uh-huh. you can go through and, and you can study, uh, like if you look at Lord of the Rings, uh, Lord of the Rings was hugely influenced by Tolkien's uh, time in the military and the, the looming threat of, of the Nazis. So you can see, yes, because I yes. mean, you have uh, uh, the orcs and, and Mordor residing in the east and, and the free kingdoms being in the west. Uh, it's, it's, it's a large metaphor for that. And, yeah, and I, I think that that's definitely – that's what every writer, they're looking for those universal truths. They're looking for things that can uh, reach out across all the audiences. And the best way to do that is to, uh, is to write what you know. And uh, there was a, a time where I was working for a company that was based over in India – and because of my work with mythology, that's, uh, that's where I was, was really cutting my teeth and, and doing very well with them. And then they asked me if I would be interested in telling stories within the Indian mythology. And I had to politely decline because I was like, that, that's not an area that I know. Uh, to me, if, if I can flip it, then it would be like bringing someone from India and bringing them over here to America and say, hey, okay, now we want you to tell the story and tell the difference between a First Baptist, a Southern Baptist, a Lutheran, and a Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. I think that would leave them so dumbfounded that they, they wouldn't know which way was up. And so I was the exact same way. I was like, oh, I, no, I really don't want to get into Indian mythology because I'd, I'd hate to offend people by you know, just winging it you know, and, and not really knowing what I'm talking about. Uh, so, yeah, it's, I, I think that that – uh, reaching down deep and, and writing what you know, that's really the, the key to, to writing a, a, a great story. And so, yeah, I think all, we are the sum total of all our past experiences, good and bad. I've learned that here in, in the – or I, I should say uh, that, that belief has solidified me within the last couple months where it's like, hey, everything that you go through that's, uh, that's bad is, is shaping you for what lies ahead. So, yeah, so definitely pull from those past experiences. And so then you can kind of get – you can get an insight into a writer's mind and why they do what they do by studying their past history. Very good point. And it also leads into the fact that no matter what your profession is, you are so right, uh, what you have been through in your experiences, whether it be as a child in a school or whether it be in industry, it has a definite effect on the way you proceed on your path. It, it most certainly does. And uh, I, I discovered uh, I was in the people helping professions for many uh, years uh, through official uh, social channels. I've always been involved in helping people, uh, uh, even through non-traditional ways. Uh, but uh, one of the things I noticed when I worked in uh, workforce development or vocational rehabilitation uh, was how closely people's stories were tied to their profession, uh, as you say. But it, it was a very deep and powerful thing. And it seemed to be like someone was trying to reconcile something. So they picked a profession that would subject them to what they um, uh, needed to reconcile on a daily basis and put them in a position of power. And I'll give you an, an example. In the uh, human services, uh, back in the day when I was active in it, uh, the suicide rate was amongst uh, the highest in professions. 
So you have to ask yourself, why would this uh, be? And uh, you don't really get the answer to that until you've walked that uh, particular path for a number of years. And uh, having walked the path, I could share it. Um, basically, the initial question is, what do you call it, uh, in the human services, is how do I fix a situation? And it's usually a situation you grew up in. So if it's not a situation inside of you personally, it's a situation that involves a parent, a sibling, uh, a very close uh, relative or, or whatever. And you want to understand what the situation is all about. Uh, and you also want to be able to fix it because you weren't able to fix it as a child. So you go and you get educated and you get uh, degrees and certificates and then you get validation through your internship and then getting hired as a human service professional. Uh, now you have the degrees and experience where you can tackle these social problems uh, directly, repeatedly until you can fix them. And you attempt to do that. And you have a vocational setting that allows you to do that. And uh, uh, you have professionals who reinforce what you're doing and what you're seeing and what you're, what you're saying. But what happens is after, it's usually seven to ten years, is you discover that you're still trying to solve your initial situation. Uh, except instead of dealing with it directly with yourself or with your uh, a close circle of uh, loved ones, whether they're alive or not, you've been working through uh, working with other people. And although in some of the cases you've been able to uh, effectively intervene and help them resolve these issues, in many cases you have not. And uh, once you see that you're still on this initial uh, quest, that you never left the quest, then it becomes, why aren't you able to change this situation <laughs> in your own circumstances? And an, that's, that's the point when people start killing themselves. Because if, if you are a healer and, and all of a sudden you, you find out that you haven't really healed anybody, because it's a truth. Uh, when you're working with people, that sometimes your best efforts yield no result, and sometimes you're just basically calling it in, you know, because you got to do it, it's your job, and you have lasting and profound effects on that person's life. So you, it's not really even what you're doing a lot of times. It's uh, the role that you're fulfilling in the moment. So that's when I discovered, uh, you know, uh, and I, I knew several human service professionals who had killed themselves, so I started thinking back on the conversations, uh, that they were having with me or, or things they were saying in meetings before they took their life. And that seemed to be those type of issues had started popping up again. So again, I can't say it's, it's true uh, universally or true for everybody, but the, the story uh, took them to a dark place. So if, if I understand what you're saying, correct. Uh, so um, I have, uh, I have a very good friend of mine. Uh, uh -huh. who recently uh, has, uh, is conquering uh, uh, an addiction. And they are using the experience to improve themselves, uh, and then they are seeking to, to go forth and, and pursue a degree uh, right. in, in counseling services because they understand what it is to be addicted to something. And to me yes. – that's exactly the type of person that you need to, to, to help you through it. It's, uh, it's one thing to go through and, and read about it. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you could be a, a nurse, 
that has has seen the, the the perils of addiction, and you could go through, and you could say, hey, okay, all right, I'm going to go through and I'm going to get my degree, so that way I can help these people. Uh, but but you've read about it in the book, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you've experienced it firsthand. Whereas if you've got someone that's faced this demon head on and beaten it back and said, you're not going to control me, they're going to understand the shakes that you're going through. They're going to understand the withdrawals. They're going to understand the pain. So to me, that's the perfect type of counselor that uh, that you can that can understand the situation that you're involved in. But sometimes by people going through and and wanting to help, they're also not paying attention to their to their own demon, and they're too busy trying to fix other people without being able to to fix themselves. Yes, and uh, I too believe that uh, people who've undergone certain experiences are, if they overcome them, are in a good position to help other people because again they've been there. It's not a theoretical thing. Uh, that having been said, there are many different types of addictive behaviors that don't even fall under the uh, umbrella of addiction uh, that you know, will give you, if not in intensity, at least in, in understanding the same insights that you get you know, when you're battling uh, an addiction demon. But what happens is a lot of people in their quest for empowerment, in their quest for conquest, um, their own situation and why they got onto this path in the first place becomes invisible because now they're empowered. They've published papers. They've gotten advanced degrees. They've been promoted. They're now in charge of certain things. So it's kind of like they start buying that they have, you know, an exceptional insight. Yeah, but and I'm going to bring it one major. step further. I'm going to bring it one okay. step further because it's so interesting. Um, we're talking about like knowing an addiction and, and that that person would be the best one and, and about the whole job analysis. You know, you go into things because you've been personally touched. I feel that is the answer to resolving a lot of these problems that exist within our country or within a community that you have to be touched by it somehow to fully understand the impact of it. And you take, um, you know, drug addiction going way back in the inner cities where it was so prevalent and nothing was done and it got worse and it got worse and people really didn't pay attention to it as much as it needed to be because it didn't affect them personally. Once it started moving into suburbia and rural communities, like the community up here where, where I'm at, it's considered rural, and it was coming into this area, then all of a sudden people started to stand up and take notice because they could understand what it was all about, what the symptoms were about, how it affected the whole family unit, how it affected the community. So uh-huh. you, know, you could even take it further and say, that that's one of the problems that people, again, if you want to, want to call it empathy, whether you want to say that people have to have it touch them somehow, or as like I had an administrator who was beyond belief, and I asked her why she was so phenomenal, and she said, I, I grew up in Israel on a kibbutz, and we were made to do every single job. So we would be aware of how that job impacted each individual. So there's something to be said about that. Oh, oh, sure, yeah. and the the transformation is real. It's just mm. that it becomes dangerous when you forget uh, what you what got you on that path, and that ultimately and eventually it is about you 
or it is about your parents or it is about your siblings or, you know, whatever that close circle of people, you know, happen to be. And in your journey of personal transformation, the Greeks, uh, the ancient Greeks believed that the, the journey was with the therapist and the person receiving the therapy, that they were on a journey together that they both needed to take. So it wasn't like one was the professional and the other one was the, the client. It was without right. both people, the journey was impossible. Uh, that you needed both people to, to get to the, the place of, of healing. So it, it kind of explains like um, mothers against drunk driving. Yeah, they're mothers who something happened in their life, you know, with involving drunk driving, and they want to do something about it. So, like from there, from that stance, it's a, it's a, it's a powerful thing that changes societies. Uh, but also, it explains why you have uh, uh, crooked policemen and uh, why you have uh, uh, ministers who live double lives because they pick the path that's going to expose them to that which they have unresolved within and maybe hiding. So instead of a demon, you could say it's like their darker half or, you know, whatever. You you can metaphorically describe it in a number of ways, but profession itself becomes a way of resolving uh, these inner conflicts. And and what you do, um, uh, you know, uh, determines uh, who you are. Uh, Like, for instance, I teach. Uh, why do I teach? You know, do I, I don't see myself as having all the answers, but I'm continuously on this quest for knowledge. So teaching is an occupation that allows me to convey information and continue to acquire information. And then my well, journey becomes well, what I'm teaching and it colors everything I, uh, I teach. So uh, th- there may come a point where I decide I don't need to do that anymore, in which case I will not be able to teach anymore the same way um, I, I'm still good at interacting with people, but I, I really do not feel the calling of human service professional anymore. I did it for three and a half decades, but I resolved whatever <laughs> you know, the things that got me there, so I don't need to keep doing them. Yeah, so it's kind of like a freedom. But, but do you think it's always resolution, Hercules? Because um, I basically was always into art, and, and I did that. And then I had to think about a profession, and I'm like, what am I going to do? But I, I always recall this one particular person that I had as a teacher in second grade who totally blew me away in the sense that she was a real human being. She just didn't get up there and... Teach. I mean, I'm giving away my age, needless to say, is that, that this person uh, taught in a very different way. She would, I remember she showed me pictures of her husband and her child, and, and yet she was a truly professional person, but she balanced her, her professionalism with empathy and emotion and real caring for her mm-hmm. students. Like she really wanted her students to see her as a human being, so, and that always stayed with me. And um, I think as I went along, I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I love art. I'm a sculpture major. You know, I'm not going to be, you know, carving out all these giant statues and all that. And I decided to go into teaching. I gave it a try. And I just loved getting up there and sharing experiences. And I would even tell my students, um, you know, when you're in this room with me, you are you. And I'm here for you. And we both learn from each other. Right. And I would, even in terms of doing demonstrations with art with certain materials, I'll say, well, I found out 
as a child, being a lefty, that I had to do things in a different way. So when I show you this, if you're a lefty, this might help you. But if you're right-handed, you've got to, I, you're going to have to find your way that works for you. This may work for me, but you have to improvise. It's basically brainstorming and sharing information. And there would be times when um, a student and a critique, and I'm talking a 12-year-old, would come out with something so profound, and I'd have to just stop and say, whoa, Lyndon, you are amazing. What, what insight you have in terms of how you see this. And you see the kid glow. You know, you're being honest about right. it. You see the kid glow, and you're like, wow. You know, I just did for this child. Not that I did for this child, but this child is feeling the way I felt when Mrs. Deloach showed me something that I was capable of. So, and you know, there's enough negativity. You have to be there to to build up a child and make a child feel good about themselves and and be there for them after school if they need help with this or that. There is much in giving as getting, which which is unfortunately – a lot of people forget, you know, it's about the getting and achieving and amassing fortune. Well, fortune can be many different things. It doesn't have to be actual right. possessions. But you bring up a very good point. And, yes, I would argue that it's for fulfillment also. It gives you a sense of uh, purpose um, Yeah, and why we uh, do things. Like uh, um, my political journey, I would say, is greatly motivated by um, – somebody's deciding things that I don't agree with and it's impacting uh, my life and the future of this planet. So uh, I don't want that to happen. So I need to be where decisions are made and it's the beginning of the journey. So I'm on the County committee. Uh, Now I'm, uh, you know, I'm competing for a a council nomination Uh, and whatever happens, I'm not giving up. I mean, if I don't get it, I don't get it. It's my first attempt. Um, I will continue to try, but it's something inside of me. You know, I, I feel a phenomenal need, you know, to, to do something rather than just uh, talk with people who are of like mind or, uh, you know, like uh, in person or on the podcasts or uh, even like in, you know, I, I, I want to take it like the next step and actually do something in this world uh, from a place where I can make a difference. So uh, it, like every other adventure, it's it's beginning and I, I don't know where it's going to lead. I don't know how effective it's going to be, but um, I work with people who are dying and I learned that at the end of life, uh, when you're in the bed, if you're lucid enough and you're not getting out of the bed and you know it, uh, if you have good memories, that's the best treasure you can get, mm-hmm. you know, to have good memories. Um, if you have regrets, that's the worst thing you could possibly have. And um, if you have at least one person, even if they're, if they're a paid person, that cares enough about the fact that you exist to be there for you, uh, that's like the, be- the best thing in the world. So that forced me to live my life totally differently. You know, so now I try not to have regrets. I try to do things and say things, you know, that at least will yield me the minimal amount of regrets. Um, I try to uh, do things and experience things that will give me the best uh, memories. Uh, and uh, I treat people in my life well enough that uh, I think that there will be at least one person that cares if I'm in that bed and still around. So, um, but but that's what I mean. Like once I got, once I saw that, I still continued doing it. Um, 
but I ha- I know why I'm doing it. Sometimes when we get into things in the beginning, we don't know why we feel a particular pull, we feel a particular resonance. Right, uh, you know, right, we, know we have right. to follow it or go with it, and then we fight with it, and people in our lives tell us, oh, no, that's stupid, you know, that's not going to earn you money or get you an advanced uh, position. So that becomes part of our, our, our journey, too, to work through all the negativity inside ourselves and, uh, and the other voices. But uh, just like with writing, now I'm writing a lot, and thanks a lot to Ryan Foley, who's here, uh, for being part of the encouragement that finally pushed me past, uh, you know, that line. Um, but I've been published in seven anthologies with two more coming out. Um, I've been approached by a couple of publishers. Uh, I've published two uh, eBooks. Uh, and again, this is the beginning of that particular journey. But if it wasn't for people like Ryan, uh, I might have put that off for a while, put it on the shelf. <laughs> and now that I'm doing it, even though, it, you know, again, it's the beginnings, uh, I'm feeling a phenomenal amount of fulfillment. And that's opening me up to another uh, path I'm taking that when I'm in that bed, I'll look back and be glad I did, regardless of what, what happens. Yeah, because the reader has tributaries. And, Ryan, I'm, I'm curious, what got you into writing? Well, okay, so I, I, I know I've been quiet here, and, and I've, I've just been uh, – it's kind of one of those things where I wish you guys could see me uh, because <laughs> I, I, have a huge, I have a huge smile on my face, and, I, and I'm going to answer your question. Uh, and, and at the same time, uh, it, so – uh, so, Ashley, you, you said you're a sculptor. Is that correct? Right, right. I was a sculpture okay, major. So, so you can so you can verify this for me. That the old adage is, is that the sculptor does not add clay, or uh, if they're dealing in marble, uh, they're not adding more marble to the sculpture. They're stripping away everything that doesn't need to be there to reveal the statue within. Is that correct? Right, and the thing is, you are you are restricted by the uh, material. You have to work by the material. You don't control it. As you're going along, you have to work with the grain or the type of material, if it's soft, if it's hard, and, and adjust the way you proceed. Yeah. Okay. So, Hercules, it sounds to me. Okay. So, what's your that pull that you're that you can't explain that you just you feel this innate desire that's your authentic self and that and that i think is what people have lost so much for they've lost the authentic self i Mm. write because it makes me happy Mm. um you know it's uh, i'm writing a novel right now that has just been it is uh, it's it's been great but it's it's very large, it's very ambitious, and it took a really long time for me to wrap my arms around it. And I'm intent on finishing this book by 2020. And so I have been uh, dedicating myself to, to writing. And when I do, uh, if so on a Saturday morning at 7 a.m., I'm writing. There's a, a really good chance that when I get off this interview here, I'm going to start writing. Uh, awesome. it's, it's something that my mind goes to. It, it, it pulls me there. And I think sometimes in, in I know this is going to sound hippie and, and metaphysical, but I, I think when you're in the flow, when you're in the river, you know it and you know what you're supposed to be doing. But unfortunately, and, and I don't want to sound anti-American or, or, you know, but there are so many of us, who we I've got three kids to feed, you know, so so their needs have to come first. So I do work my nine to five job. 
you know, I, I do that because I've got to pay the bills. And it right. would be great if we were in a society where everyone could get paid for doing what they love. But as you said, sometimes it's not always about money. Sometimes it's not about the, the financial reward. If you can step out on the frontiers of your passion and you can make money doing what you love, then the mm-hmm. world is your oyster. You will smile from dawn to dusk, uh, you know, doing what it is that what you love. But yeah, so it's, it's finding that authentic self. I, I do believe that there are certain people, they have an innate gift. And telling stories and, and writing is just what I do. It makes me so happy to, to see a script come together, to see a character come to life. Uh, to me, it's, it's the greatest feeling in the world. I know there are some people, I've written more books than some people have read you know, once they've uh, gotten out of, out of school. Cause unfortunately it's, you know, it's, it just, uh, th- there are some people who they won't pick up a, a book after they leave high school, but yet I'm, uh, yeah, so, so I'm, I'm reading constantly. I'm, I'm writing constantly just because this is what I was put here to do. I, it's, it's, it's just what I do. That's my call. It's and your so creative force. It's your creative I'm, force. Yeah. And, and mm. if you can tap into that, Man, it's such a great feeling. So Hercules, when I when I hear you talk, I'm th- man. If I was in, if I was in Sussex County, I'd be voting for you. You know, it's because you can you can sense that genuine passion, and much like the the teachers that you guys were talking about. And I mean, hey, come on, it's, it's with any profession. It can be teachers. It can be You're police right. officers. It, it it can be military. There's going to be that that bell curve. There's going to be that small group that's going to make the rest of them look bad. There's going to be the ones that are just there to cast the paycheck and, and call it a day. It's their nine to five. And then there's that intense calling where this is what they are. And I, I mean, I can tell you right now, Mr. Powell, when I was in you know, my, my senior class, Mr. Powell, Ms., Mrs. Goins, my sixth grade teacher, I remember those names, those, those teachers that inspired me and just, you know, and, and made me want to be a better person. You know, these are the types of people that, you know, they found their calling. And unfortunately, especially, especially in the state of Oklahoma, my God, we pay our teachers just horribly. Just, I mean, we should be back yeah. in dump trucks full of money up to, up to the schools to educate our kids. Um, you know, but the people that are there, the ones that were down uh, protesting, you know, with the, 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 the signs and stuff, uh, they were there because they love the kids. It's not because they're greedy. It's right. not because it's, it's because you know they just they they want to take care of our kids. And so to me, that's that calling. That's that authentic self. You and know, you are so right, Ryan. Because it's in every profession. Because we have this restaurant that's near us. The woman is Hungarian. She loves this restaurant. She loves her patrons. She comes in. She greets them. Very European attitude. And you can just see her eyes sparkle, the food that she presents. I mean, I have been, like, all over Europe, and I have never had, you know, veal cutlets or these dishes that are made to that superior quality, even, like, in in Austria and Germany and all over the place. And I'd say, this woman is amazing. I want to come here because not only does she give me the best quality, but she just enjoys, you can just see it, she just enjoys owning it 
and serving people and giving, presenting the food the way she does it. It's just amazing. It's a great, a great place to be. And then the energy that's put out, it's not just like the, the product, the energy that's put out, it, it rubs off on you and you go out leaving, leaving that place feeling so good. And I bet you're probably happy to give her your money. Most definitely. <laughs> yes. Yes. Most definitely. <laughs> yeah. It's it's finding that it's finding <laughs> that authentic self. If you can do that, and I'm to to everyone that, that is listening to this, I I hope you do. I, I and I I know that with the political discourse and all the stuff that just feels wrong in the country right now, and 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 Hercules, seriously, my hat off to you because. I, Thank you. I get frust- I get frustrated with the people that they're sharing Facebook posts or the, you know they're they're ranting on social media. Ugh. Okay, but have you have you contacted your congressman? Thank have you, you Ryan. Have you made a phone call? <laughs> yeah. Have you done any of that? Because if you haven't, it's all just lip service. Exactly. Whereas, you know, where hey, you're doing it, man. You know, I mean, you're going out there. You're putting your money where your mouth is. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, and so that's, that's you're finding that authentic self. And so I, I believe that if you do get elected to, to, to your position, I mean, you're going to go in there with heart and with gusto. And, and hopefully, you know, people can see that. And it, I just I can feel it coming off of you. And so that's why I'm 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 wishing you the best. I I absolutely think I, I hope it's it's a fantastic experience for you. I hope you're able to help your 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 people, the the, the city, the you know the state, the country, you know, to be able to go through and help. I, I think it's fantastic because you're pitching in, you're helping out, and you're so obviously you have a, a, a something that inside you that is pulling you towards that goal, that destiny. And so get in the river. If you can get, and sometimes it's easy to stay on the bank. It's easy, but that's also where you can get busted up because that's where the rocks are. Whereas if you just commit and you get into the flow of the river and you let it, you know, uh, uh, if you can be buoyant within that river and go along with the flow, yeah, you're going to be like the woman in the restaurant. You're going to be smiling all the time. If you can chase that dream, chase it. I, you know, I'm, t- I'm telling you, your life would be, for all your listeners, if you can chase it, I'm telling you, your life is going to be better for it. And it's not, it's not a question of success and failure. You tried. That's the most important thing. To go out there and, and just to make the attempt is sometimes, it, okay, you may fall by it. Look, you ask a pretty girl out. If she tells you no, all right, you learn from it and you move forward. You know, you become better for it. And you become, uh, hopefully you become stronger, you become more compassionate. You go through all the bad things in your life, that makes you a stronger person. That makes you a better person, makes you more compassionate. And if you can do that, if you can find your authentic self, I think you can see it. You can see it in people's eyes when they walk around. You can go to a shopping mall or Walmart or go to the grocery store, and you can see the people that have found that authentic self because there is. There's that sparkle in their eyes. They're happy. Uh, whereas, Or maybe, maybe you may not be able to find the people that, that have found their authentic self, but you sure can find the people who haven't found their authentic self yet because they're just they're very dour and down. And I, I would hate to live that way. So uh, yeah. 
so to bring it all back full circle, yes, it's finding your authentic self, and I, and I do believe truly, Hercules, that you found something here uh, that is, is going to, to strip away. It's going to strip away everything that's not important and reveal the true you, and maybe that could be – and, and it's not to say that you can't wear many hats. Still do the podcast, still do the writing, still do all that stuff. But then you just add this to your repertoire as well, and you're able to go out there and, and help the people through public service. I think that's fantastic. Thank you, and you've inspired me greatly uh, here as well. <laughs> Thank you for uh, your eloquently said uh, and uh, powerful words, Ryan. And, and, you know, Ryan is so true. The people that stand on the banks, I, I could remember when – I was a, a really young teacher, and I would see some of the things going on. And, and, you know, I was too involved with my social life, you know, my early 20s, you know, to be bothered. And as I went along in my, in my 30s and, and I started seeing things, I would say to myself, that's not right. What's happening in one school versus the other school, because as a, an art teacher, we would travel until the schools got so huge in our town. Um, I saw the difference. And by watching something that occurred in one school and seeing it was wrong and the union reps not saying anything about it, I just, this is just wrong. It's wrong. And, and I got involved with the union and was a rep for a long time until I became a delegate on a local level and then on the county level. And you learn, you know, the way to, to do it, the, the way to do it is to look at the total picture. And um, not to stand on the side, because you can stand on the side and let me tell you, your blood's going to boil. Or maybe you won't care because it doesn't involve you. But when you do get involved and you have that sense of purpose saying that, you know, do you want to just sit there and, and talk about it and not – you can't just talk the talk. You have to walk the walk. And then you can, you can actually stand up and say, well, I may not have been success, successful in this approach you know, with the end result, but I tried and I was on the journey. And that's the thing, that you actually take that first step forward, then you take a second. Where you end up and how far you go into that forest, whatever it may be, you have to get the feet moving, you know. And uh, that is why I speak highly of you and often, uh, both of you have uh, taught me very, very much, and uh, my life is the better for it. And us, for you, Hercules. Because it, you, uh, I, share, I share that sentiment. Yeah, because it's about brainstorming, and it's sharing all the positive energy and seeing new ways. I mean, you were awakened in me, you know, my desire to uh, um, read and and throw myself into the Greek, Egyptian, Roman atmosphere, all the things I found so exciting. I remember in grammar school, you know, it would always be every year we'd have history, and I'd say, not again. I mean, not that I wanted, I'm embarrassed by being an American, but every year the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, over and over and over again. And in junior high, I had a teacher who, as you said, Ryan, was like, full of sparkle, an older lady. I couldn't wait to get to her class because it was ancient history. And she brought it alive. When she would talk about it, she'd be walking around the room and getting excited. I practically used to fly out of my chair because I was excited about it. And, you know, you brought that back, you know, that, that desire to throw myself into that and learn about how it all began and how not only it began, but how it evolved 
to certain points and cultures and how those cultures influenced our culture because there's only good that can come from learning and experiencing all those different cultures. Well, you're very welcome. Uh, I'm, I'm very honored to hear you say that. And on that positive uh, note, uh, we our journey today is ending. Um, Astrid, uh, people can get in contact uh, with you through uh, me, through the show, yes. through Facebook. And uh, Ryan, I posted your Facebook page and also your Amazon page. Is there any place else you'd like me to link to? No, those, those are absolutely fantastic. Thank you once again to both of you for being such wonderful guests and awesome people. Um, Thank you for uh, opening my eyes and uh, um, helping me uh, see new things and go in new directions. I'm looking forward to our next uh, conversation, which will be very soon. Most definitely. And Ryan, a pleasure hearing you, listening to you, and uh, sharing conversation. The pleasure is mine. Thank you very much for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Okay, take care. Have a wonderful evening. Um, We're going to listen to Bone Poets Orchestra's Evolve, and then we'll be back uh, with I on Northern New Jersey, hosted by Bill Waitman. Thing of all, Pedro, 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 Pedro
Project. Today is another installment of the Path of Public Service. And our next show, Eye on Northern New Jersey, is hosted by Bill Waitman, uh, one of my mentors who I'm now honored to call friend and collaborator. Greetings, Bill. How are you? Greetings, Hercules, and uh, uh, congratulations on your intent to run for the uh, position in in your hometown on that council. Thank you. That's a great, great, great job. Hope you get that one. And I think I you could bring so. great things to that town. Thank you, but I'm like you. I never give up. So even if this doesn't happen, I'm not giving up. I'm moving forward. What do they say? Try, try again. <laughs> I've done it a few times. That's right. And I'm great. I'm, I'm very happy that you're talking to Tom Palmieri again tonight. Uh, I enjoyed uh, your conversation uh, greatly before. So uh, um, I'll be here listening and engineering. Talk to you later. Okay. Um, how you doing, Tom? Good, Bill. How are you? Pretty good. Um, I'll go over a few things. What was your take on, on today with the uh, State of the Union? I mean, the State, the state it, speech by the governor? I think it was a positive. Yeah. He was, no, you know, no, he was uh, talking about his positive things that have happened, talking about things that need to be moved forward, like uh, minimum wage, dealing with minimum wage, infrastructure, dealing with uh, the Gateway Tunnel. You know, those things still need to be dealt with and worked on. Uh, he definitely was saying we've done some positive things, but we still need a lot of things that need to be done to make uh, New Jersey a better place to live. You know, I ran on the uh, idea of a $15 uh, minimum wage, uh, I guess, for an assembly raise. And uh, some of the uh, cities uh, in New Jersey have, have already imposed that or phased it in. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's well needed. And uh, some states like Connecticut have already made it a state law. Uh, Connecticut, and I believe, California. So it's it's something that's really needed. Um, the only thing Absolutely. That Go ahead. Uh, one of the things that, you know, you know, they've been working on it for a year. Obviously, there's different perspectives, even though we have, you know, Democratic Senate and Assembly and the governor. Uh, there's definitely different perspectives and trying to make it uh, $15 is a big jump and how to work it in slowly into the economy, not too slowly, but not too fast either. So people are not uh, business owners are not shell shocked and uh, customers are not shell shocked. So it's it's a process and they're trying to, they're working on it and hopefully they'll tweak it in the next couple of months. It'll become law. You know, I, on that tunnel, uh, uh, we've been waiting for a long time. I remember, uh, I used to go down with poverty groups and, uh, we would give a, uh, grade point in Washington to, uh, our senators and our legislatures and, uh, Lautenberg always showed up, uh, and, uh, right. There were a few, even a few Republican congressmen that showed up, um, and Democrats. Uh, otherwise, we got their aides. But he was always excited about getting that uh, that tunnel, and it's well needed. The infrastructure that we have here is, uh, especially in my area, uh, people are confined to cars. The highways are really parking lots and very dangerous in the winter. Much more dangerous than in the more suburban communities. And our commute from Sussex County is the longest in the state, uh, and the per capita of jobs locally uh, ranks about dead last. Uh, so I, I think we need to get some changes, and I'm hoping that uh, the governor can even help our area. 
uh, you know, I think the um, I don't know how the road tax affected uh, uh, Warren County, but I think it's uh, in, a, in many ways it's a burden for Sussex County because they're pretty much confined to uh, uh, their cars if they want to commute out to a decent job. And it is time to get some decent pay in the uh, local economies. So I'm, I'm hoping that's because that is a law. I hope that's definitely uh, introduced. I, I, I want to just flip for a moment, and uh, I looked at your, you know, the, your Warren County website. It is fantastic, and it's easy, and it's so informative. And uh, 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 do you have an idea? I mean, I was looking at an election. How many registered Democrats are there in Warren County? Um, two years ago, we were just uh, under fourteen thousand. We're now over sixteen thousand. Um, That's what Republicans it, are about. Uh, you know, so there's been a tremendous uptick, and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the political climate that we're in right now. And it has motivated people to want either to register or declare that they they belong to a party that is going to fight for them and fight for the working people. And that's the you know from my perspective, that's the Democratic Party. That is the Democratic Party. I shouldn't be biased on a radio station, but that's I, I share that belief. I um I did a debate the other uh, over the weekend uh, with an author. And uh, a, a conservative Republican, and uh, the views are so completely opposite. Uh, I mean, how we look at the problems in this country. I don't see, uh, you know, um, tonight uh, on Facebook, uh, I know a fellow radio magnet like Hercules uh, out of Newark, and he was attacking me about the, the border, and uh, I said, hey. Comparisons of the people coming across the border and in uh, in the United States in that section, uh, they have lower criminality. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. all the stuff that's been distorted. I mean, the uh, the border people coming in uh, from these countries uh, has actually decreased every year since 1972, and the last two mm-hmm. years we're way down. I mean, he's the one. It's the president that's pushing all this stuff. And we're not focusing on the real interests of this country. We do need infrastructure repair. That's what he should be having meetings with Pelosi and Schumer on. It's desperately needed. I mean, our roads up here, and I don't know, I can't speak about Warren County that much, although I got over to, uh, I, get over, I, get over, I got over to Blairstown the other day uh, for something. And, um, uh, you know, our commutes are the longest. Uh, you have some basis of a railroad system up there, and uh, we've been talking well, about that it. Well, that system is not, you know, it's not um, conducive and helpful to um, getting most of the people to jobs. You know, it's it's aimed at New York City and the one station in Hackettstown. It's at the end of the line, so most people don't um, use it. They still use the car. They're still using Route 80. They're still, still going down to 78. So it's it's not something that is right now infrastructure and mass transit is not something that's in Warren County or in Sussex County. Uh, one of the things that the governor tying that together, you mentioned about jobs. Uh, there is urban enterprise zones. You know, each county right now has one in, urban enterprise zone. But the thing about it is, like in Warren County, I can't speak for Sussex. Um, they don't have a Wi-Fi system or internet connection that is 
You know, you can't get files through Verizon. You have nothing that's – so businesses are reluctant to move out to Warren County because the Internet system is not antiquated, but it's 10 to 15, 20 years behind. So that's just a, a minor problem just besides rebuilding roads, rebuilding uh, water lines, those things. So um, there's a lot of things that need to be done to help the economics of Warren and Sussex and these uh, rural counties and even in South Jersey. So – it, it, it's a long battle. You know, there's been the previous administration, there's been a lot of neglect for these areas, and uh, the leadership in the counties have not been aggressive enough, from my perspective, to force um, the major, let's say, Verizon and so forth, to rebuild or uh, upgrade their systems. So businesses are willing to move out here. It is. It's, it's a very much a problem, and I, I think we talked the last time. Uh, I think. Uh, the Mars and the Wrigley thing, that didn't take – it's not going to take place in Hackettstown, right? It's going to take place in the Newark area? Well, they're going to be moving their corporate headquarters to Newark. That's what Mars is going to be doing. But they're still – you know, obviously the facility – but their facility is still going to be, you know, in Hackettstown, which is a major employer in, in, in our region. I, I, I can understand because the things that you just cited as far as the uh, – our computer and our, our Wi-Fi uh, infrastructure are a big problem, I'm sure, in Sussex County. I know that we have people that telecommunicate uh, from our areas, uh, but, you know, maybe they have something that we don't. I, I was surprised to hear that Newark uh, would benefit with a corporate headquarters. I don't want to take anything away from Newark because they competed with Amazon. But these are two right. big companies. That, uh, uh, is, is, is Wrigley merged with uh, Mars uh, Candy Company? I cannot speak to that. I have not read anything about that, so that, to my knowledge, I don't know. But the the thing that's interesting, Josh Gottheimer, our congressman for the 5th District, he had a, uh, a conference or a meeting with local leaders about specifically about the problem with Wi-Fi and the lack of the, the poor quality of our Internet service out in our regions. And so, I mean, our congressman knows about it, our freeholders know about it, and we need to be pushing this as hard as we can towards the state and say forcing the board of utilities to force these companies to upgrade the system out here. I hope that comes through because it, it would, uh, it, having people stay home in the commute, uh, uh, in the County rather than commute 50 or even 40 miles is, is uh, first hazardous and it takes them away from family and uh, they're perpetually on the roads. I know that in uh, Sussex County when driving around that, the bait, the our commute really goes on to about eight eight thirty now, and I I don't understand. I'm talking about nighttime, uh, because right. I'm talking basically about one road that goes into the county. That's Route 23, and um, only if you hit Route 80 at the right time, you can be in the county in a short distance. I mean, if you're coming from Parsippany or somewhere like that, but in general, that becomes a parking lot too, and you don't want all these mm -hmm. people on the roads. I driven many times in snowstorms when my kids were young. I had, uh, uh, after a house fire, had to uh, stay down in Bergen County for a bit. And uh, then I, I actually started to come towards my house as it was getting rebuilt. But um, it's, it's a tough sign. And we, in Sussex County, our best employers don't really pay the best. You know, uh, we've got an engineering uh, a company in Newton that takes – you know, uh, you know, brags about things, but they pay low pay for engineers and other 
you know, other people. I mean, they might recruit students out of uh, Stevens Institute, but the pay, it's not enough to attract long-term help. And uh, yeah. also there's a problem in apprenticeship. Well, one of the things with uh, those companies, I like coming out NJIT or Stevens, these young engineers, they're going to use these companies out here as a stepping stone to uh, other companies down the road. Because let's face it, we are losing population in the northwest part of the state because the jobs are going towards the older areas of the state where corporations are setting up and people are not moving out here. I mean, our population has dropped in Sussex. Our population has dropped in Warren County. And you can see it just by the number of teachers that when my daughters were in school, their school had 900 students. It's going to be dropping down to about – it's down to 700 or 680 and they don't project that the population, the student population is going to grow because people are not moving out here to have families anymore. They're staying closer to their jobs. They're staying closer to the urban areas. So to help our counties, we need to invest in jobs, infrastructure, and bring, help the corporations see the benefit to come out here in this area. You know, one of the things that disturbed me, a, a mayor in, in Newton uh, was pushing the idea that the whole county could have one school district. And, you know, uh, everything I've read on that or seen on that, I, I did studies of, uh, uh, for the federal government, I did studies of students. Uh, uh, actually, I picked up a school tool in York County, and I picked up two schools in Sussex County, 12 in Bergen, and uh, I hit 17 of the 21 counties. I followed kids for four years on a number of factors mm-hmm. of longitudinal studies. And um, I worry about that because, A, in a, in a county like Sussex or even Warren County, if we had one, basically, uh, they're talking about merging school districts. I know that Trenton's thinking about it, but the problem is that take a special ed or a kid that has some kind of emotional problems. I like him treated in his local school because the teachers, mm-hmm. the administrator would know that. You seem to lose something, and uh, from personal experience, I don't recommend having kids on school buses traversing the whole the whole county. Um, it it no. posed some problems with one child of mine, but uh, I don't know if I'm going to win that battle. Well, it's interesting. Uh, in the North Warren Regional High School area, we have three towns se- uh, sending kids to the high school, uh, which is located in Warren County in Blairstown. Uh, what's happening now is though. Each of those three schools, Freeling Heights and Blairstown and Knowlton, their populations is dropping from their peak years. Um, you know, ten years ago, there were uh, Blairstown had trailers. Now they've gotten rid of the trailers, and now they have empty space. There has to be a discussion of how to merge those three school districts, because right now they have three buildings that are 50 percent occupied, and they have administrators. So. There's got to be a way to reduce the cost of educating and the cost of maintaining one building is hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And there's no reason why these three districts should have three, three separate schools when two buildings could do the same job. But getting people to give up their local school is going to be very, very hard. It's going to be very challenging. Even on this, we're disagreeing a bit, but I, I, I see something, you know, I would get rid of some administration. Um, Mm -hmm. I still would like local town to have its own, uh, you know, com- uh, what do you call it, for issues with children uh, to, yep. to deal with them locally because they get lost in the shuffle. Sparta in Sussex County does the same thing. It has other districts 
coming in, and it's a wonderful school system. But somehow, um, uh, and and hardest in my uh, district, we have a regional high school, and uh, you, kids, you lose something. The kids are on buses all over the place. But I, I agree with you. Something has to be done. I, I don't know if people will give up their lo- local districts. I think part of the problem is that we need to get legislators that can bring jobs in, real jobs. Right. Uh, and, and and that's part of having the infrastructure you talked about. Uh, we've got to get in sync with a, 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 the party. And, and my county is uh, is not in sync with anything. I mean, I I, I mean the daughter of a, a great Republican state senator, she voted for a bill called coal royal rolling. You know, uh, for, right. while people in cars could spill smoke on other cars. That's not a thing that you should do. I think we need to get more serious in our legislation. Um, and I think well, the, the assembly candidates in my district, which are also in your district in part, uh, are not fulfilling the uh, are not fulfilling the role either. Yeah, they're they're single minded in on certain topics. Let's say like Planned Parenthood. You know, uh, Governor Murphy talked about Planned Parenthood has been refunded. They get hung up on these social issues and they forget about what really impacting people's lives. Planned Parenthood is really important. It needs to be supported. It provides needed services for women. But at the same time, uh, our current representatives don't seem to fight. They fight that battle, they fight against Planned Parenthood, but they will not fight for how do we create better jobs, how do we uh, introduce uh, legislation that will help businesses stay in New Jersey and move to New Jersey. And they their focus, I'm disappointed in their focus. Let's put it that way. I I have to agree with you, and I, I think it spins over in part to some areas of Morris County, uh, in the tri-county region that we're in. Um, Sussex County had a bad solar. We, we needed solar power, but it, it was totally uh, not a viable project. Uh, there should have been an investigation for some corruption at the freeholder re- level, but there wasn't. And um, in general, we're not. We're bringing in mostly retail, low-wage jobs, right. uh, and exactly. we need to you know, attract industry that can raise skills. That our students, that they go into schools. I believe. Uh, I don't. I, I don't know if uh, Sussex County currently has a magnet school. I know that there's one nearby in Morris County. Are there any magnet schools in 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 Warren County? Do you know? No, there is not. No. So, I mean. Uh, you know, kids can vie for a position, but the, and most of those grades are only like 22, you know, 22 kids uh, in each uh, freshman, sophomore, all the way up to uh, senior. But we need to start getting more magnet schools. We need to improve um, all all our education, and we need to you oh. know, our county colleges. You have three campuses. Um, I don't know. Sussex County is talking now about a, uh, a car lot. A car, uh, car lot Newton to expand it, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, we, it, county colleges are the viable, uh, via, the only viable way to actually start for many parents and families. And I wish there's a way that we can come up with some tuition reduction or free tuition. I didn't catch the governor's well, speech. Actually, it's interesting that you mentioned that. The governor talked about free tuition for county colleges and pushing that through. So that is something on the radar screen that should be happening in the near future. So if you are a New Jersey resident, you live in a county, 
and right now the economics of going to a four-year school doesn't work for you, go to your county college and you can go there for free. That, that's one of the goals and objectives of the governor and the legislature. I think that's a great step. I mean, uh, California did it for years. I don't know if they're still doing it. Uh, I, I believe the governor Cuomo. Yeah. It's too bad because they had some great colleges <laughs> included in that. Uh, I think they were four-year schools, many of them. But this this is a thing. Um, tuition is getting out of sight for many people. I mean, my daughter decided to go to law school when she was 33. I couldn't pay. Right. I can't law school anymore. I wanted her to do it when she was in school. Uh, and and uh, she, she went to the uh, Florida State University. Uh, but I couldn't afford the thousands. And she's gone to debt now. I feel sorry. I feel sorry for any yeah. parents that have that huge amount of debt that uh, that's going to impact them until they retire uh, and and or their, or their children. Um, that's one thing we have to address. Let me ask you about the, you know, the coming elections. You're, you have, you have uh, two. Con- there's no congressional district, but you have uh, no con- uh, congressional races. But you have two congressional districts. You have the fifth, and I believe the seventh, right? Correct. Right, and we have two. And they're both Democratic uh, congressmen. If you had told me five years ago, six years ago, that uh, we would have two Democratic congressmen covering Warren County and, mo- and also Sussex County. I would said I would take that bet, but I would have lost that bet. It's just amazing what has yeah. happened over the past couple of years. I grew up with the uh, county surrogate in Sussex County. We've had bitter arguments on Facebook, so I got off. But uh, I remember he had an argument one day, and uh, somebody I went to high school in Bergen County, who's over in Cambodia now, uh, he pointed out in the 30s that we had a lot of Democrats in Sussex County. And I actually remember some freeholders. I remember we even elected an African-American freeholder uh, about 20 years ago uh, as a no, Democrat. But uh, we've kind of fallen by the side. But you're but right. I, mean, I think change is coming. I, I don't know what it takes. I think we need to uh, uh, recruit, enroll, get people registered, uh, I know we have some low-income towns, Franklin. Uh, we have people in Franklin, which is a former a mining town, uh, that really don't uh-huh. live in Flor- uh, Franklin. They live in Florida. <laughs> they're the, you know, they're the right. committee people. Uh, you can't – I don't think that's a good idea. We had a woman that ran four times, but all she did was put up 12 signs. Uh, you've got to get out. You've got to build a party. I know the uh, – I think the Republican uh, – the Democratic chair – uh, he's donated to me very uh, – he goes back to uh, Nashville, sang with Johnny mm-hmm. Cash, and actually had Johnny Cash uh, come up for a fundraiser when he was mayor of Hamburg, New Jersey. But he's 97 years old. Uh, wow. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing about it is now there's a real investment in helping uh, local candidates know what to do to run a uh, campaign. In the past, like you just mentioned, when you just put up 12 signs, those days are over. You have to really knock on doors, people who you believe will vote for you, and start shaking hands and talking to them. If you think people are just going to show up and vote for you, that's that's not going to happen. They're not going to vote just party line because you're a Democrat or a Republican. People no. want to know who's going to represent them. And the thing about it is candidates have to go out, shake, knock on doors, shake hands, send out information, 
have events, invite people to come to those events, go to events where people are have other events, and interact. If you are just going to sit on the sidelines, I had, you know, it was very interesting. I had a couple of candidates say, "Well, I'm going on vacation in September." I was like, "September?" <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, that's what you need. You have to face. Yeah, exactly. I, I, so I, you know. The local candidates, you know, they don't understand that it is a real commitment, and it, is, you know, it takes a lot of time. You have to really work at it. Uh, it's not something that's going to – they're just not going to hand it to you, if you're, especially if you're a Democrat running in a Republican-leaning town. You know, I uh, even fundraiser was difficult and for me, and, and, and I didn't – I've never had the outreach. To, I did put signs up in, uh, in some Warren County towns. I uh, – I tried to go, uh, you know, do a walk around most of my county if I ran for a freeholder race. You know, I hit every mm-hmm. ta- I hit every town, uh, but I didn't have the party support, and uh, that's the problem. I mean, um, uh, and outside candidates, uh, I would do all right, but for freeholder, I outpolled the outside candidates from the, uh, you know, the assembly districts. Like, uh, right. you know, we've had a couple of Bergen County guys running up. Um, I'll the congressional districts as, as a, uh, but I, I had a, really didn't have any telephone, uh, you know, polling. Uh, I did, mm-hmm. I had a nurses union that endorsed me that was going to give me money uh, and send me people. I think I can't remember the name. Um, I've had them twice and I've had now, but, uh, and uh, I, I've had some, I had the um, AFT, uh, which is really not mm-hmm. a union in Scott County or Warren County. Uh, American, American Federation of Teachers, but I never had a campaign campaign place. And the, the elections I mostly ran in, there was nobody to man phones or to, to walk around with me. I just did it on myself. Uh, myself. And that one campaign, and you, you, you helped us out. It was the uh, assembly race the last time I ran in one. Um, I put up their well, sign. Those days, Bill. Just so let you know, you know, candidates now are getting. Uh, from the local county organization and from the state, a lot more support in a lot in the sense of if not just money, but also how to run a campaign, when to start knocking on doors, what is your message, your what are your talking points, you know, trying to help candidates focus and be direct to the uh, voters and what is impacting the voters in let's say the town, the county, or the legislative district. So. It, it it is changing in the sense that there is more support and there's more uh, energy and more structure to help candidates be more effective in their campaign. I've I've seen it with the, the Mikey Sherrill campaign. Uh, I'm, uh, mm-hmm. Tonight I'm in Wayne. My wife's uh, has got a doctor's appointment uh, over at St. Barnabas, but um, I've seen it there because they they basically flipped it a Republican town. They had canvassing uh, lore. I never say had 82 people. Uh, you know, the Weber, you, you uh, dealt with the Weber people there, and I, I, I put signs against uh, up there in Sussex and uh, uh, for uh, Gottheimer. Um, but uh, they really, Cheryl really had organization. She had a great organization. She reached out to everybody. Uh, they're real, they, uh, you know, they had campaign teams going out during the week. Uh, and that, and then they started early, and they beat yep. her. I believe they uh, carried Wayne, which uh, is a Republican town, a rich, affluent Republican town. So if they didn't cover a beater, they, uh, she lost the town. She lost them by 
a thousand votes, which is amazing. Uh, the freeholders from Down County and uh, Democrats they won heavily, but I think that she helped overall. Well, and I, I think can't that speak to uh, uh, Congresswoman Cheryl's uh, uh, campaign, but I can talk about uh, the fifth and the seventh, and they both their numbers. Even though Josh Scott Harvey didn't win Warren County, he went up about six percentage points over two years ago. Uh, Tom Tom Alanowski in the seventh district they projected. Uh, one number, and they beat it by five five percentage points. So they, Tom Alnowski, really had a, a field organization that was very organized, and they had they literally t- knocked on tens of thousands of doors, and they made hundreds and thousands of phone calls, and they not Tom Alnowski did not neglect one town because Warren County has seven towns in the seventh, but it's only as a percentage of his total district is about three percent. He did not neglect the three percent of the of the district. He focused on it and he made a difference and we we outperformed what they thought they were going to get. So it was it was a great campaign for Tom and also for Josh because uh, I think he had a very weak candidate or opponent that is and uh, Josh you know, was able to get his message out and people Josh has been an excellent congressman he's been reaching out to all the mayors, Republican, Democratic mayors, doesn't matter, helping them to bring tax dollars back to our district, and he's been a very effective congressman in that way. Yes, he's he was bipartisan. Uh, he won the award. I can't think as uh, the most bipartisan freshman congressman, and I think that mm-hmm. carried over. The uh, I, I listened to the other guy in debates, and uh, he was terrible. I caught him in uh, Sussex, and I caught him in Bergen County, and he had nothing to offer at all. Although he, he claimed so, he had worked with Democrats in the, in the past. And you're right, Malinowski was to me he was a surprise. I mean, he really worked hard on that uh, election. And you're right, never oh. in our lifetime. Uh, I can't. Uh, uh, Rockham had been a Democrat, you know, uh, Marge Rockham, years ago uh, when she was a, mm-hmm. a, a Bergen County Council woman. Um, uh-huh. But uh, but in that, uh, I can't think. Uh, Harrington, I think there was a Democratic congressman that had the district going back. 30 years ago. He was going to come out of retirement and run again uh, about four or five years ago. Um, yep. But I, I think it's great. You have to cover every base. I mean, we've had assembly candidates that would send 40 signs up. Uh, you can't send 40 signs up to a county that is 500 square miles to have any effect at all. And you've got to really well, cover what, every base. Well, one of the interesting things about signs are they they never change anybody's vote voting pattern, but what they okay. do is they give recognition and it's getting your name out there. If you want to change somebody's vote, you gotta literally shake their hand um, and touch base with them, or your neighbor or their neighbors talking to them about the candidate, because um, people will not change. You know, let's say mailers, mailers are good in the sense that you can I get your information out to the public. But are they going to change person's mind overnight? No. You have to have you have to talk to the, the voters in multiple ways. You have to contact them through mail, uh, Facebook, uh, TV, signs, and and knocking on doors. You know, it's, I agree. That's what I've always done. I, I, from the Mickey, uh, from Mikey Cheryl uh, thing, uh, her thing around her district was that she also had postcards go out. Continuously, mm-hmm. 
you know, yep. there would be large sets of people sending postcards. So you're right. You've really got some paper out. The signs do give uh, some, uh, re- you know, recognition to the candidate and individuals. You got to find that person in the community uh, that know uh, it's the people's choice. That's the one that ca- helps carry your message. So it is help. I'm, I'm sure Hercules is going to run for council. Put these in. You need you need those cards. You need to if you can get a phone bank, fine. Uh, even if you do it yourself in a municipal election, you really got to walk around walk around the town as he. Uh, is always the best policy. I come from a town. Uh, I was going to have this guy on. Uh, he was He's a mayor of my hometown that I grew up in. And he was one of the people that was indicted on the uh, kidney scam. You remember that? That's all I can. It's about 20, yeah. 24 years ago. Now, he, he was the only one that came out of that unharmed. And he's been mayor of uh, Richfield, New Jersey. He has a book out. I, I uh, went to see him. Uh, I've met him a couple of times. I, I did a little protest because we're building an old, uh, electric generating system uh, really on the uh, Richfield and North Bury. And I don't know if you know the geography that well, but it's it's really about 300 yards from a, a, a PS&G, a PS&G uh, public service electric and gas uh, electric center for a number of towns in, in New Jersey. And this one is built right on the border of Richfield and with inside North Bergen for New York City. And it makes no sense. It's, it, the rivers have gotten cleaner. The swamps have gotten cleaner. So groups have, uh, have, have protested it. And since it was my hometown, I went down. And I met the mayor, and, uh, and he, he was proud to show me. He, I have his book, so I was going to interview him. But his thing is served. You know, he, he, he organized that town perfectly. That town, from, from when I was in elementary school, never really had a Democratic mayor. I mean, uh, right. I'm talking going 40, 50 years. Uh, and he's been elected every time now for 20-something years. And one, despite that uh, indictment, I don't know how he cleared that one, but uh, that's part of his book. Um, and that's what it's about. It's about working the town in every way you can. Uh, Hercules works with libraries and whatever. Uh, that's good. Getting to the social groups, joining the uh, uh, the chamber. I I was a member of the Chamber of Commerce uh, for 12 years. Out of those 12 years, I've won four awards for customer service and uh, economic mm-hmm. development. Uh, and that's a Republican Chamber of Commerce. So I right. helped companies that were Republican owned. Uh, you know, like the guy will shudder if I mention his name, but the Tom Matson owns a big, uh, is a, a friend of mine. He doesn't want people to know it, but he owns a big tool and die thing. And, uh, and I've helped get grants for companies, including uh, your company, Mars, over there. I did so much work. Mm-hmm. I developed friendships for them and whatnot. But that's what it's about. It's about getting around and, and, and building rapport with the people and finding more. Mm-hmm. If you go to a street, even I recommend, and some people say no, I mean, you have the literature for who's registered and who's not. But maybe if you've got time, hit a couple of houses that might be Republican or independent. Uh, Independence now. It's an interesting thing you mentioned about that, uh, about um, your voting patterns. You can actually pretty boil it down if you have excess capacity to reach out to those people. But you really need to focus on people who believe 
or think the way you do, but getting them to go out and vote. One of the big problems that's happened in the past is uh, in these off-year elections, the turnout is going to be like this year. They're expecting, you know, below 50%. It's not lower turnout oh my in assembly God. races. But, right. So getting more than – if you – I've made this comment. If I could get every Democrat to show up in this off-year election and vote for our Democratic freeholder candidate, we would win. But unfortunately – Less than 50% of the Democrats, registered Democrats, will show up to vote. And that's, that's a problem, even if it's Republicans. The Republicans have a low turnout also. It's, it's across the board. And well, it's usually in, in Sussex County, it's 10 to 13% that show up sometimes, especially in the primaries. Uh, and maybe right. they go a little high, They go higher than that uh, in the rec- elections. But it's weird because uh, – you know, a, a Democrat will get twelve to 15,000 votes, and they'll get 20-something thousand votes. In some other towns, in, in, a, in a large municipality, you know, that's not even the total vote. Uh, they go higher than right. that. Um, let me ask you one thing about phone. What bothers me, I've made calls uh, in the last couple of years for Democratic candidates in Sussex County, and I was going off phone list. And then not every red- – a lot of these people are gone or switched their numbers. I mean, the numbers that the polling device might be it might have been an old poll. Telephones are less and less effective um, because of with uh, you know obviously with cell phones, and uh, that's one of the reasons why um, phone banks are they're important. But there's just one part of it where let's say 10, 15, let's say 20 years ago, phone banks were they dominated how you would reach out to uh, voters. It's becoming as I said, you need other ways to reach uh, voters, and uh, phones are approximately one-third. Every time we do a phone bank, one-third of the phone numbers are disconnected. I agree and with so, you 100%. I would make 500 calls, and I would be lucky to get 10. And if I called oh. on a Saturday, uh, if people were if, – even if they had phones, they weren't home. They're shopping. Right. Uh, even, right. If, even going door-to-door, I helped in uh, – in Wayne, New Jersey, and went door-to-door to, door to help my daughter out. Uh, if you go on a Saturday or a Sunday, uh, especially uh, in the fall, you're lucky. But, I mean, it's hard. You will get some people, but football games are on. Uh, you know, uh, there, there are parties going on in houses, or they're just out at church, or they're out shopping. Mm-hmm. But you, you, that's why you have to – your point about going early is, is, is right on the number. You really – need to start almost when you get that nomination or before that, uh, you know. Oh, absolutely. Get people. And uh, unfortunately, on that note, uh, our journey is coming to an end. Uh, thank you to both of you. This was uh, incredibly uh, enlightening, um, and I learned a great deal uh, during uh, this hour. Um, Bill, I posted your um, uh, Facebook uh, page, and uh, I also posted did, um, I think that's it that I posted. And uh, um, is there any place else you'd like me to post with it? Well, I, I have a Twitter account. I, uh, I don't have any many, as many members as you, but I'm, I'm up to about 3,000 on LinkedIn. Uh, All right. Contact. Uh, I've been working with uh, Harvard Business Review. Not that I went to Harvard, Tom, but I've been working <laughs> with Harvard Business Review with select uh, people. Uh, you know, they recommend people for me to help uh, be like a mentor to. Uh, right. And uh, I've enjoyed that, and uh, I've been posting a lot of stuff from them that they sent me for free. Uh, so 
yeah, they can contact me on LinkedIn. They wouldn't think of it. I, I mean, some people that oppose me on Facebook are actually on LinkedIn with me and recommend I, me. So I will that's post a good the source. link to your LinkedIn as well. And, uh, Tom, I have uh, – the um, Warren County Democratic Committee site, and I also have your Facebook page. Is there any place else you'd like me to post a link to? At this time, no. No, no that, those are the, our main sources uh, of information, getting information out and people contacting us. So that would be perfect. Again, thanks to both of you. An awesome show. I'm looking forward to part three of this continuing uh, uh, conversation. You want to come back? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank hey, you. Uh, thanks to everybody for joining us. Uh, until next time, this is Hercules Invictus, our wonderful hosts, our wonderful guests, uh, wishing you a healthy and happy uh, new year in perpetuity. Um, I will now play our closing song. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.